Let's see what the Lord Jesus, the Lord of the churches, says here. Revelation 3, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What Jesus says here makes it clear why we should care a whole lot more about reality than about reputation. Why we should care more about reality than reputation. For one thing, reputation can actually be the opposite of reality. It can be the very opposite of reality. The church in Sardis had this reputation of being alive. That's no longer true. But the question is, well, how did they get that reputation? Well, at one time, it must have been true of them. When the good news about Jesus Christ first came to their community, to Sardis, uh, people responded. People received God's gift, his free gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. And they gladly embraced his purpose for their lives. And they joined themselves together as a church so that they could worship God in spirit and in truth, not with, with dead ritual, but with, with reality. They learned his word and they obeyed it. They were excited about following him. They gave themselves freely to Christ's mission in this world to, to share the good news with people of this world, with their community, sending out people to share around the world, leading other people to become followers of Jesus. See, that's what it means to be alive as a church. That's what it means. It, it means to be in love with Jesus Christ. It means to have a relationship with Him that connects us to God and, and, and to be filled with His Spirit and to be living out His commandments, His great commandments, to love God, to love God with all our heart, mind, and strength and to love others as we love ourselves. That's what it means to be alive as a church. And the church in Sardis was like that. They used to be like that. Something happened. We don't know exactly what, but apparently they got comfortable. They got very comfortable. Their worship became routine. 
instead of alive, instead of heartfelt. It was just a thing you do. And pursuing the mission of Jesus Christ, well, that became less important to them than pursuing their own personal agendas. They didn't give as much. They didn't pray as much. They lost their appetite for the Word of God and their vitality, their enthusiasm for Jesus just gradually drained away. They still had the reputation of being alive, but the, the reality was exactly the opposite. Jesus says, they're dead. They're dead. And that's the complete opposite of their reputation. It's the exact opposite of what their reputation was. How does that happen? How does that happen? How does your reality become the opposite of your reputation? Well, one way we know it happens, because the Bible describes it to us, one way it happens is when tradition becomes more important to us than mission. When preserving cherished traditions matters more to us than pursuing the mission Jesus Christ has given us. We see this. In Scripture, Jesus repeatedly, repeatedly got into conflict with the religious leaders of the day over this very issue. Because these guys were into traditions. They were into preserving the traditions that they cherished. And they were into that instead of being into the mission that God expected them to fulfill, to do. And then these guys had a, a great reputation. They had a reputation for really loving God because they were so careful. They were so careful to keep all of the traditions and the regulations that had accumulated over the years. Uh, For example, the law of Moses instructs people to give 10% of of the crops that they grew. They were to give 10% of it to uh, the Lord And basically, that's what enabled the the priests, the Levites, who didn't own property like the rest of the Israelites did because they served in the temple. And so the offerings that everybody else brought supported them. That was their livelihood. So 10% of all your crops you grew, you gave that to the Lord. Well, these guys extended that down to every last little bit of, of spices even. So if you had a tablespoon of, I don't know, what's a spice? Oregano. I don't know if they have that in Israel, but you got a tablespoon of that, you give a tenth of a tablespoon. I'm sure that meant a lot to the priest. Here you, here you go. Here's my No, but but you know, they they were scrupulous to try to keep every last regulation, every last tradition. And there's a sense in which that's very good, because these laws originally came directly from God, but over the years They had added, added all these traditions, these traditions, these traditions. They extended the regulations. And the biggest problem was not that they were doing it, but why they were doing it. Why were they doing that? See, people looked at them in their scrupulous, meticulous observance of every little detail, and they said, wow, you guys are so spiritual. 
You guys really love God. And they went. That's right. And Jesus looked at those same guys and said, No. No, you don't love God. You love having people think you love God. What you really love is having the reputation of loving God because you love the approval of people. You love their esteem. You like impressing them and being admired by them. That's what you love. And that's why Jesus warns us in Matthew chapter 6. He says, beware. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Beware of doing good things to impress other people. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So do we do what's right because we want to love God? Or do we do what's right because we want people to think we're a good person? Do we want the reputation of loving God or do we actually want to love God? Now Jesus, unlike the religious leaders, had a, he had a very different reputation from them. In fact, he talks about it in Luke chapter 7, verse 34. He says, the Son of Man, he's talking about himself there, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, you religious leaders, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That was his reputation. How did he get that? Well, he got it because he cared more about actually loving God and actually loving people than he did about preserving traditions and enhancing his reputation. Jesus did not come to earth to preserve traditions. He came to seek and to save the lost. And that was his God-given mission, and he went after it regardless of what people thought of him. He and the religious elite then ended up with completely different reputations. His reputation, now he doesn't love God, look at him. And the religious elite, oh yeah, those guys love God. That was their reputation. And both of them were exactly the opposite of reality. Jesus really did love the Father. And they really didn't. So, one thing to learn is that if our traditions ever become more important to us than the mission Jesus has given us. If our traditions, you say, well, come on, we're Baptist church, we don't have traditions. <laughs> oh, you know, it's kind of hilarious to me over the years how you can do something once and it becomes a tradition. People say, we're going to do that again next year, aren't we? And that's fine. Traditions are good. There's, I'm not picking on traditions. The only the problem is when we, because we don't like change, nobody likes change, and we're used to doing something some way, and then we think, well, okay, here's a better way that we could actually fulfill our mission of connecting people to the God who made them, who friends who help them in a world that needs them. Here's a better way we could do that, 
and we go, well, wait, but that means we have to change. If our traditions ever become more important to us than accomplishing the mission Jesus has given us, then it really doesn't matter what our reputation is. Our reality will be exactly the opposite. Reputation can be the opposite of reality. Here's another reason why we should care a lot more about reality than about reputation. And that's because reputation, that's what people think of us. Reality is what God thinks of us. And what God thinks is infinitely more important than what people think. Because what God thinks is always true. What God thinks is always real. What God thinks is always the way it really is. People, on the other hand, you know, what we think sometimes isn't real. It isn't true. It isn't the way things really are. And that's because what we look at, we we tend to look at and get preoccupied with things that aren't necessarily real. Um, 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So this is how it is, you know. We look at somebody, he's good looking, he's clean cut, he looks good, he must be good, right? Unfortunately, history is full of good looking guys who are pretty rotten. I was just reading the terrifying story of Ted Bundy. Serial killer, killed over 30 women. We don't even know how many women he killed. And the people who knew Ted Bundy said the reason he was so successful is not the right word. It's terrible, but the reason he was able to do what he did was because he was so charming and good looking. We get fooled by that. We get misled by appearances. God never does. God is never misled by appearances. He looks at their heart. He looks at your heart. He looks at my heart. He knows exactly what's really going on. So while we may be able to fool people about who we are, God is never fooled. We can't fool God. See, people looked at this church in Sardis and they said, yeah, yeah, that church is, is alive. That church is is getting it done. That church does good things. And Jesus looks at the same church, and his assessment is, I've not found your deeds complete in the sight of God. So the question we have to ask is, whose assessment matters ultimately? Now, this is not saying that what people think of a church is irrelevant. Because, you know, part of our calling is to love people. And if people think we're a bunch of (laughs) mean, stuck-up snobs, we're not going to be able to accomplish our mission very well. So that's not what we're talking about. But fundamentally, the ultimate assessment of whether a church is getting it done or not getting it done, whether it's alive or dead, that's God's assessment. And that's the assessment that's going to matter most to us eventually, guaranteed. Which brings us to the third reason why we should care more about reality than reputation Reputation. Your reputation has no influence whatsoever on your ultimate happiness. 
Only your reality does. Your reputation has no influence at all on your ultimate happiness. Only your reality does. In other words, while it may make us feel better now to have people think well of us, ultimately, it's not going to make the slightest difference in whether we're happy forever. Now, this is tough because all of us like having other people think well of us. But we have to realize that what people think ultimately is not going to be the thing that decides whether we're happy forever or not. So we have to decide, are we, are we satisfied with this short-term, very short-lived, you know, good feeling, or do we want to be happy forever? That's why Jesus is trying to get our attention here. You know, because those who are Christian in name only, those who are Christian only by reputation are in for a serious reality check and they're not going to enjoy it. Jesus says, if you don't wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. That sounds ominous. It's supposed to. He doesn't spell out the consequences in detail, but he doesn't need to. Nobody wants to be visited by a thief. Nobody goes to bed at night saying, gee, I sure hope a thief comes tonight. Nobody wants that. So trying to be phony with Jesus doesn't end well. It doesn't end well. But it doesn't have to be that way. And we can just forget about our reputation and get real with Jesus. And the outcome of that, getting real with Jesus, forgetting about the reputation, trying to impress people, just get real with Jesus. The outcome of that is outstanding. You know, it talks here about walking with Jesus in white. That's a symbol. That's a symbol of being completely pure, completely clean, and right with him, in relationship with him. It talks about having your name written in the book of life with a permanent marker that can't be erased. And it talks about Jesus acknowledging or confessing your name. It's kind of an interesting contrast. It's awesome. Your name will not ever be blotted out. Instead, whoops, your name will be confessed by Jesus before his Father and all his angels. Can you imagine that? Think about that. Have you ever had your name called in some kind of meeting or assembly because you won an award or something. Maybe you, you got on the honor roll. <clears throat> Maybe you won some other kind of award and there's all these people here and they announce your name. And you just, you loved it. Or maybe it wasn't you. Maybe it was somebody else and you wished it had been you. That's nothing. Imagine this. Imagine the day of judgment is here. It's coming. The day of judgment. And you are standing with millions of others before the throne of God and his holy angels. And Jesus announces your name and says, This one is mine. So he's good to go. 
This one's mine. So she's in. And because of what Jesus says, you are ushered into the very presence of God to experience joy forever. How does that happen? Well, if we're like Sardis, if we're like Sardis, we have to wake up. We have to wake up to what's real. We've got to refuse to be content with just having a reputation of being alive. We've got to want to be alive. We've got to wake up. You know, when you really need to wake up, you do what you have to do to wake up. I had a friend in college, and I was over at his house one time and in his room, and I looked, and this guy had the biggest alarm clock I've ever seen in my life. It was huge. And on top of it were these two bells. I'm not, well, it's probably a little exaggerated, but they're big. Huge bells, and I turned it on just to try it, and it just pierced. It was so loud, and I said to him, how can you stand that? That is so obnoxious, and he says, I have to have that, because I don't wake up. I sleep so heavily, or he says, and I can't even have it next to my bed, because if I do, when it goes off, I'll just reach over and shut it off, and I'll go right back to sleep, so I got to put it across the room. So then when it goes off, I have to jump out of bed and run over and turn it off before it wakes up the whole house. Why? Because he had to get up. When you have to wake up, you do what you have to do to wake up. That's the kind of seriousness we're talking about here. Not to be content with a reputation of being alive, but to really want to be alive. So if you're here today, and people think you're a Christian because you've been coming to church for a long time, or because you grew up in a church-going family, and you carry a Bible, and you act like a good person, but you know it's not real, are you okay with that? Because you don't have to be okay with that. Jesus does not want you to be okay with that. That's why he told these people they were dead. Why did he do that? He's not just throwing insults. He wants them to get it. He wants them to wake up. He wants them to want to change. If he'd just given up on them, he wouldn't have said anything to them. So if you're here today and this bothers you and this concerns you, that's good. It means we're not too far gone if we care. So wake up. Don't be content with just having a reputation. A reputation means nothing to God. Nothing. So what does he want? He wants us to trust his son. He wants us to put our trust in his son. He wants us to trust him enough to stake our lives on him. Look again at verse 3. Remember, therefore, what you have received and, and heard. Obey it and repent. Look, they've already heard it. They don't need new information. They don't need some new secret about how to please God. They've already heard it. What have they heard? The good news about Jesus Christ. That he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through him. 
He's the one we need. He's the one we need to pay attention to. He's the one we need to rely on. He's the one whose mission we need to be pursuing. Look at chapter 1, verse 5. From Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the rulers of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Okay, be sure you hear this. Because I know some people are going to hear this message. Because every time you hear a message that, you know, makes you feel like you're not measuring up, you, you just, you, your, your reaction is to resolve to try harder. Try harder, try harder, try harder. That's not what this is. This is not a call to try harder. This is a call to trust Christ enough to act on his good news. To trust him to free us from his sin, our sins by his blood. To put our lives completely in his hands. See, all these words here about having unsoiled garments and walking in white about being completely clean and pure in God's... How does that happen? Because we know. We know if it's up to us, we can't make ourselves clean enough. Well, 1.5 says, Jesus freed us from his, our sins by his blood. Look ahead to chapter 7, verses 13 through 15. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said... These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. It's a reference to Jesus and his death on the cross. Therefore, okay, key word, therefore. In other words, because the blood of the Lamb has made their garments white, not because they have achieved something, but because the blood of the Lamb has washed them Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in the temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over him. Symbols of eternal joy in the presence of God. It's a shocking image, isn't it? I mean, garments washed in blood becoming pure white. That's weird. It's gloriously true. There's only one person whose blood can do that. And so when we finally realize that we can't make ourselves good enough, we can't just keep on trying to you know, do this reputation of being good enough for God, and instead we put our trust in Jesus alone and His bloody death on our behalf to make us pure, He washes us clean. All the sin, all the garbage, he takes away. When we come to the place where we trust him enough to act. So here's what it all comes down to. The choice. Being content with our reputation, being content with what we can accomplish, being content with having a name that we can build by our own efforts, or we can wake up, we can get serious about Jesus, we can put our trust in Him, to ask Him to make us alive, ask Him to make us clean, ask Him to tell us what to do, and follow His directions, pursue His mission, and do it in spite of whatever it might do to our reputation. Because people are going to think, 
you're crazy. If we get serious about following Jesus, people think you're nuts. Or they think all kinds of other nasty things. Reputation, reality. Which do we want? Let's pray. I just want to give you a minute. Don't know how this uh, passage strikes you today. But maybe you're one of those who would say, yeah, it's true. I've been living on reputation and not really trusting Christ to make it real for me. I want to be real. I don't want to just say I love God. I want to love God. I want to want to love God. And I can't make it happen. Then ask Jesus to make it happen. Ask him to wash you and to to give you that freedom and to say, my life is yours. You do that today. It's just a matter of asking him. The Bible says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord, that's Jesus, will be saved. And you could just ask him today if you never have. And if today you realize you've just been kind of sleeping, kind of letting tradition become more important than reality or more important than the mission Jesus has given us, Let's just let's go before him and whatever we need to talk to him about. He's ready to listen. He's ready. He wants us to wake up and to rely on him. So take a minute and pray, and I'll pray too. Father, I don't want to be a man who's got a reputation of knowing and loving God. I want it to be real. And Lord, I confess sometimes it doesn't feel nearly real enough. And I'm just asking that you would in my life and in the life of anybody else who's here and wants that, that you would just make it real and help us to do what you've told us to do, to put our trust in Jesus alone and to follow his directions. Lord, will you just keep us from ever becoming a church who's got a reputation that's better than our reality? Let us be alive to you. Let us be doing deeds that are complete in your sight. We need this, Lord. So we ask for your help because we can't do it in our own strength. We ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.